Welcome to the Milestones Motivation and Money Podcast, a weekly conversation filled with stories of business, financial literacy, careers, leadership, and resilience. Setting and achieving goals is key, whether they are related to your finances, business, or career. I hope to empower you with these conversations no matter where you are in life. I'm your host, Angel Radcliffe, and on this show, get ready to change your mindset and start your journey to achieve your lifelong goals. So if you need a little motivation to start your day or jumpstart your next project, tune in and be sure to join our community online at milestonesmotivationmoney.com. Hey, 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 welcome back to the podcast. On today's show, we're speaking with Michael Dominguez, who's an award-winning sales rep and member of the Remax Hall of Fame. He's also the founder of Doors to Wealth Real Estate Group. He works with a team of realtors focused on educating and assisting people in investment within real estate. After becoming a realtor in 2008, Michael bought his first investment property and proceeded to add to his portfolio for 10 years. Throughout his real estate career, he's completed over 300 investment property transactions, and Michael is also the author of Armchair Real Estate Millionaire. So he'll be chatting with us today on how he became a millionaire within property investments and giving some tidbits for those of you who own properties. So let's go ahead and welcome Michael to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to chatting. I am too. So today's a topic that everyone knows I'm always excited about money. (laughs) With myself being a financial educator, I am always stressing for people to find those additional revenue streams and create that passive income. And you have become a self-made millionaire. Yes, I have. (laughs) How about we get into a little bit of what you do? Give us a background on you. Sure. I, I sort of started into real estate as a second or maybe even a third career. I was in my early forties. I could tell you that at the age of 40, I, I don't know if it was necessarily on that day, but around that time, I realized that I really hadn't reached a lot of my financial goals that I'd set for myself when I was a teenager in my 20s. I, thinking back, I, I reached a point where I, got, I met a girl, got married, had a kid, got promoted a couple of times. And before you know it, I was stuck in middle management at a retail organization, just sort of drifting through life. And so now I was hitting 40 and I was at a point where I was recently separated, about to get divorced, and really had not built any net worth. I was fortunate to get into the real estate industry, and I started out as a realtor, gravitated right away to the investors, and and then went from there. I not only was helping clients purchase their properties, but I started purchasing properties for myself, and that's what started the journey along the path. Wow. So many people want to live that dream. They want to have multiple properties. They want to be this investor. Tell me about when you purchased your first property. How long ago was that? Yeah, I bought my first place in 2010, which as as many people that know their history know that 2007 to 2008 had a bit of an economic crisis, both in the United States and in Canada, which is where I was based. The U.S. had a bigger hit than I did. I was fortunate that me and my, my current wife, we owned our own home and we really didn't have a lot of debt on it. And so we were perhaps in a little bit better position than most, but it's not like we had gazillions of dollars lying around. We simply, we used the, the equity from our, from our principal residence as a, uh, for our down payments. And we were able to qualify for financing and the actual property I bought 
is very contrary to the properties that I recommend today. I bought what everyone told me to buy. I bought an undervalued property in the secondary market that needed a lot of work. I had crappy tenants. It was a sixplex, which I didn't know a lot about. And honestly, I struggled a little bit in, in both the tenant profile as well as as well as uh, maintaining the property and collecting rents. So I didn't have a great first experience, but over time I started to develop more of my systems and we'll talk about that as we go. You know what, when I hear so many people who are investors or they're landlords, I hear the horse renting their property out. So what is like one horror story that you can share with us when you were renting the property? Everyone likes to hear this horror stories. And, and I am going to tell you the horror story, but I do want to share with you that if I bring a room of investors together, everyone has their greatest horror stories that they talk with each other. But at the same time, when I ask them how many of them want to sell their properties, nobody raises their hands at that point. So my best story, which I actually, I did share in my book, is I had these tenants that I inherited and it was in a very poor location. And I had these crappy tenants. The woman who lived there was a slob to end all slobs. She had three kids living there and the place was filthy, beyond filthy. And once I took possession of it, the smell started becoming horrendous. And, and not only that, she wasn't paying the rent. And so after much deliberation, I said, you know what, this is just destroying my home. I actually paid to have her leave. Not only did I forgive the rent she owed me, but I actually paid her to leave just because I knew how much damage she was doing to the home. We spent weeks, months renovating this property, but we couldn't get rid of the smell. We couldn't figure out what was wrong. We were actually at the point where we were dripping, ripping out the drywall and starting to go into the floorboards. We couldn't figure it out. And it wasn't until we were actually moving some ductwork around that we realized that the ch we learned later that the children were assigned the task of cleaning the, the dog feces and cat litter and urine that was scattered throughout the house. And instead of actually picking it up, they were sweeping it into the ductwork. And so when they moved out, the all of the urine and feces were still in the ductwork and that's what was the smell. So we had to actually replace the ductwork as well and eventually we were able to, we were able to get the uh, place smell, smell free and problem free. Oh no. And that's giving me flashbacks because when I was searching for a home, I remember this one home in particular, we went in, the house was empty, but there was a horrible stench and we could not figure out what the smell was. And I love the house. It was so beautiful. And I was like, oh my God, I was covering my nose to walk through the entire home and the agent was telling me, well, maybe it was, you know, some sort of odor that stuck into the walls and we couldn't tell what it was, but I, I know that was probably really horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was the worst smelling house I'd ever been in. And unfortunately I owned it, but, but yeah, it, that's actually a property I've since sold. As I built my profile of the properties I was looking for, I started to avoid problem, problem properties and problem locations. I started focusing more on, and this became my mantra, is to seek out quality properties, quality neighborhoods, which could attract quality tenants. And then you could hold on to them for long term and holding on to them for 10 years or more and then making quality profits. And that became my mantra going forward. Michael, how many properties do you own right now? Yeah, I, I own 12 properties. My goal, I, I was never the type of guy I was looking to buy a gazillion properties. I had a full-time gig. This was meant to be more of a side hustle as I was doing my, my nine to five job. 
And my goal was to buy one property a year for 10 straight years. And in 2019, I accomplished that. Uh, a couple of years, I did buy two or three properties. But yeah, that's how I grew my portfolio, one at a time. 12 properties. So I would assume that you have a property management company that you're working with. And actually, you'd assume wrong. And, I, and the reason for that is I changed my mindset in terms of the properties. Even during the pandemic, where so many landlords had so many issues, because I started focusing on single family homes with additional dwelling units, which is the type of property that I was focusing on, all of a sudden we were getting these great tenants with, with 700, 800 credit scores, making in some cases six figure incomes or high five figure incomes. These were future homeowners that were currently renting. And, and it became almost a pleasure to, to work with some of these people. My wife does most of the work, to be honest. Uh, she's better at that. Her, her HR background is certainly advantageous. But, uh, but yeah, we haven't had one missed rent payment or one vacancy in Jeepers three, four years now. I want to break it down for someone who's listening and they may not understand what that additional dwelling unit is. Sure. Can you give some context? Hundred percent. So in North America, there, you know, there are a lot of single-family homes that were built. Now, many of these homes, depending on what the municipal bylaws are, they could add uh, a second dwelling unit within the same home structure itself. That second home could be could be adjacent to it, just behind, as a as a sort of a small granny granny flat. That property could be a second floor unit, or it could be a basement, depending on where in North America you are. Many of my properties in Ontario are basement suites, and they do, we do that. In California, for example, they don't have basements. And so as, as such, many of the secondary suites are built in behind the main unit. And so that secondary suite may be one or two bedrooms, but it helps to supplement the income tremendously. So Michael, where are your properties located? Are they all in Canada? Do you have some yeah. in the U.S.? Currently, all my properties are in Canada, in the, in the province of Ontario, around the Toronto area. I was very fortunate, and you know, a little bit of dumb luck, but a lot of skill as well. Um, the Toronto market, for those that don't know, in North America is the fastest growing city in, in all of North America. It's now actually past Chicago and is third in North America behind, behind uh, New York and Los Angeles. So Toronto is really growing. I'm in the, more in the suburbs. So I know you're more in the Dallas suburb area yourself. And, and that also is one of the fastest growing cities in North America, actually, as well. And, and yeah, that's where I've been growing. And, uh, and during the pandemic, the values have just surged. But since 2000, the average value increase annually in my market is around 7% a year. And that's, you know, with my ability to leverage these properties, I've really done a great job in terms of building my net worth. Amazing. Now, here in the U.S., this has been something very interesting and controversial over the last year and a half with the pandemic. There is the emergency ban on eviction. Yep. How is that being handled in Canada? Almost identical. And it has been virtually impossible to evict, which, which again, goes back to my, to my earlier statement by what I started to do was when I was looking for my properties back when I was looking to purchase the properties, I wanted to concentrate on a certain type of tenant. And I focused on properties that my tenant profile would be attracted to. And so it all started with what kind of tenant did I want to rent to? And then I found a property to meet that qualification. So then, you know, again, 2019, 2020, 2021, 
when all hell broke loose, a lot of people that had secondary and tertiary tenant quality, they were the ones that weren't paying rents and weren't able to be evicted. And it was a nightmare. But because I was dealing with A quality tenants, I had zero vacancies and zero rent over the course of the entire COVID pandemic to this point. Oh, wow. Now, I've spoken to several people, at least here in the U.S., who have rental properties and the emergency ban has definitely impacted them. And when we think about rental properties being our passive income, for some people, it's their main income stream. But if you have renters who are no longer paying rent, now that's impacting your personal finances. And it's been such a hot topic because I'm like, well, what are the owners supposed to do? Yeah. Like, how do you take charge of your property? You just have someone sitting in here saying, well, I know I don't have to pay rent until January of 2022. And it is yeah. insane. It's crazy. It is crazy. And, and unfortunately, the, prevent, or the state and federal governments have done a crappy job in protecting these small business owners. And, and I, I call them small business owners. A lot of people don't think of owning real estate as running a business, but it's every bit of business as anything else that we're doing. And, and I treat my business like a, uh, my real estate portfolio, like a business. And uh, it, again, for me, I focused on quality tenants and we're able to get people with solid credit scores. And in many cases, they, they just refuse to miss a rental payment. But obviously, if that did happen where we did have some challenges along the way, you're absolutely right. We'd be working in negative cash flow situations and you know, meanwhile, the mortgage payments and the taxes and all those things have to keep ticking. The only, the only upside I can tell you is that the real estate market has had such a surge in value that many landlords have said, screw this, I'm going to get out of the market. And even if they take a discount because the tenant's not paying rent, they're still able to get out with some profits for sure. But, but most people that have held on to their property have been very happy to do so. So Michael, I'm sure at this point, so many people are wanting to know how they can get started with an investment property or even purchasing their first home. And you may have some tips and tricks and strategies. I mean, 12 properties, you have to learn something. Maybe uh-huh. it's maybe it's something you've seen time and time again at, at several closings, or maybe it's just that hindsight 2020, we're like, hmm, maybe this is what I can share to someone. So what advice would you give to the next investor? A hundred percent. What I would recommend to anybody who's looking to build their portfolio is there's a term that's out there today called house hacking. And now this has been around for a gazillion years, but it's it's really gained in popularity over the last few. And house hacking is where you live in one unit and then you rent out a portion of that house to somebody else. So you're having them assist you in your in your ability to pay your mortgage and your taxes and your utilities and all that stuff. And so the additional dwelling units are perfect for that because I, I don't know if many people would want to have a shared housing situation where you all share the same kitchen and bathroom and such like that. But if you purchase a property or create a property where there is that additional dwelling unit, you could live in one of the units. And you know, it, heck, you can even live, live in a smaller one if you're young enough and want to just start building and then rent out the other. I have a lot of my clients that are actually covering half to three quarters of their mortgage just from the tenant. And so they're living almost house-free as they're building their wealth. And now they actually own real estate. And, and if, if especially if it's a property that's in an appreciating market with some solid market fundamentals, you're building some significant wealth with the leveraging opportunities real estate affords. Now that is very solid advice. 
just to really get more in depth of the advice that you have to share, I do want to bring up your book. So you wrote a book all about real estate called the armchair real estate millionaire. And when I hear that title, I can just picture someone just sitting back in their chair. I don't know, throwing money like Scrooge McDuck or something. (laughs) (laughs) I've done that. No, just kidding. kidding. Tell us more about the book. Yeah. The, the armchair concept is if you could build a portfolio, you know, just let's, let's pretend you can build a portfolio where you've got some great quality tenants and you, you know, they're, they're taking care of things for the most part in the, in the property yourself. I spend myself, and my wife, we spend about three to five hours a month, typically on our portfolio. I've got clients and we talk about in the book that spend as little as two or three hours a month on their portfolio. And I use the expression, the, this is a part-time job that will make you a millionaire. And that's really what it is. It's a side hustle that can do, make such a difference in your life. And so I wrote the book as a bit of a how-to manual, not, not to get up to 20 or 50 properties, but to let people know that as little as two or three properties, if you can add to your portfolio, it won't change your life in terms of time away from your, yourself, your family and your, your job but it can make a huge difference in your financial fortune and can actually give you some financial freedom later in life. If you do decide to grow your portfolio even more, you can actually get to the point where you can retire a decade or more earlier than what you were planning on doing otherwise. Now, the book came out this year and are you planning another book? Is this a part of a series? This was more of a one and done sort of scenario. I I gave everything I had. I I shared with you beforehand that I I really never had intended on being an author. That wasn't a life goal or anything along those lines. But I always promised myself and my mentors from when I was building my portfolio, I had some, some incredible mentors along the path. And many of them had such levels of success. And yet they were taking time out of their their busy or, you know, retired life or busy life to help me out. And I always, you know, appreciated their efforts and, and promised myself and them that if I ever had the opportunity, I'd pay it forward. And that's what this book was designed to be is it was, there aren't a lot of new concepts in the book, maybe my own spin on things. I'm a a bit of a storyteller. I, I like to break it down in a very simple way. I was never the A student in school. I was the C's get degrees kind of mindset. And so I, I, I'd like to think I use that sort of idea in the, in the book. Now that said, by the time this release comes out about a month or two after that, after this podcast, I'll have a, an audio version of the book. So I am planning on doing that within the early part of 2022, but, but nope, this may be my one and only book I ever do. Wow. So how long did it take you to write the book? A long time, because again, I was working in my nine to five, about a year and a half it was. And I used, uh, I used some writing coaches along the path because again, it wasn't, this isn't, I wasn't born to be a writer, but I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of it. And, and I use a lot of humor and, and like I said, stories and, and, and really sort of tell a tale, not only of my own journey, but more so how, how one could, could very easily and simply get into real estate and, and, and more importantly, not just buying any property, just because it's cheap doesn't mean it's a good deal. Buying something that has, it's in a market with solid fundamentals. And, you know, again, if, if anybody understands the equity market, not every property or not every, not every uh, 
business that's on the Dow Jones is necessarily good business. The same is true in real estate. Not every house is created equal. What markets are better than others? We sort of go into a lot of that and explain what type of property you should buy and what type of market you should be investing in. And speaking of investing, going back to someone who's looking to invest in a property, rent it out, what would you say their ROI needs to be in order to be successful? The one thing that real estate offers, it is such, I, I, I call it an unfair advantage over any other form of equity investing or any other investing that I know of. And the reason for that is because we've been able to, in many cases, secure as much as 80% or more loan to value in terms of uh, getting your getting your investing property in your portfolio. So if let's say a property costs you $500,000 is what the selling price is, you may only need to come up with $100,000 yourself. So if you're in a market where it's appreciating at a 5% return, uh, now you say, well, 5% isn't great, but keep in mind that that 5% is not on your $100,000 investment, but on the full $500,000 purchase price is how much this is appreciating and your ROI is. So many of my properties have been, since I've invested in them, have been generating anywhere from a 25 to 40% annual return on investment based on my leveraging that I've been doing. That's pretty typical with real estate. We've been seeing, seeing those kind of numbers on, a, on an annual basis on a very low risk. Wow, 40%. I don't think that's normal in the US. <laughs> oh no, it, it is. I, I, can, I can pretty much guarantee you that your property that you purchased in uh, in the Dallas area, if you were able to leverage it, has gone up at a rate of enough where your your ROI, not on the purchase price overall, but on your down payment, I would bet you, you've been seeing an ROI over 25%. Oh, definitely. Definitely on that. So getting into some of your tips to find the perfect renter per se. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Someone who's, who's probably going to rent long-term or not going to be, damage your property. How do you find the perfect tenant? My attitude's very different than many. And if you talk to 20 people, they may have 20 different answers. I don't want to have a long-term tenant. My perfect tenant is going to live there for two, three, maybe four years. Even that's too long, to be honest. And they're going to treat their home as if they're, they own the house. And then they're eventually going to leave my property, not to rent somewhere else, but to purchase their own home. That's my dream tenant is someone who's a young professional. Maybe they've got a, well, they typically have a very good credit score. I always, always 100% of the time verify their credit score because that's, that's often an indication of if they're going to, they're going to pay me rent. Obviously, there's no guarantee, but that's certainly a good indication. We really invest whether they are employed and what they are doing from a work standpoint. We look at their debt ratio, so how much debt they have, how much monthly expenses that they're paying on, an, on a, obviously on a monthly basis, and, and then we add our rent into that. And if that rent adds up to, in most cases, even more than 33%, or for sure, if it's more than 40% of, of what their take-home money is then we start getting nervous because if they don't have enough money to pay us, that could be an issue. And, and yeah, those, those are the number one top criteria for sure is, is, is where they are. We, we don't want to find, I'm looking to rent the place. I want my buddy to rent it, his girlfriend, his girlfriend's friend. No, we like a, a nice couple, whether it's, you know, male, female, 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 male, male, does not matter as long as it's a, you know, they're, they're working professionals and that's what we're seeking. And we've had a really good track record doing that. 
Awesome. So great advice. And I know we're nearing the end of the show. And before we started recording, I shared a little bit with you about what I do as a financial educator and one of my brands, Falling on a Budget. So Michael, when you hear that word or that phrase, Falling on a Budget, what does that mean to you? Yeah, I, I was thinking about that as well. Falling on a Budget. Well, for me, when I was still building my portfolio, I am still building my life. My goal was to live my best life as much as I could. And so while I was focusing on building wealth and, and making my future as, as great as it can be, I was also making sure to, to enjoy things along the way. And, and so, yeah, I always worked in money towards whether it be vacations or, or events. I've been really making an attempt to, especially during the pandemic, it's become more important than ever, is arranging for times where I'm spending quality time with my friends, the most important people in my life, my family. And, and yeah, that's what I've, that's my balling on a budget. How's that? That's awesome. <laughs> so Michael, I know we're at the end of the show. I have loved all the nuggets that you've shared and hopefully the listeners can gain some advice and They'll go out and pick up a copy of your book. So do you have any last words you'd like to share? I suppose the number one thing is, first of all, I want to congratulate anyone who's listening to this podcast because I, I, I just had an opportunity to talk to somebody who I hadn't talked to in quite some time. And we were both in financial peril 15, 20 years ago. And then we've kind of gone in different directions. And, and I really focused on, on building, building my wealth. But before that, I was focusing on my own education. And so even if you aren't in a financial position today to move forward, and certainly I wasn't 20 years ago or so, but by starting to listen to podcasts, to download some audiobooks, there are a lot of things, attending, attending events and meeting and networking with other people and start to hang out with people that are taking action, and doing stuff. That is the first step along the path to success. And, and in my experience, people that start doing that path and, and focusing on that path good things start to happen because, you know, again, as the book said that think and grow rich, if you start to think it and, and believe in it, things can happen in the right direction for you. Oh, absolutely. Well, Michael, thank you again for being here and we will list all of your links in the show notes for anyone interested in connecting with Michael, maybe asking for advice or looking to purchase the book, which I did see is on Amazon. So I'll have to pick up a copy of that on my investor journey, but appreciate you sharing your story and your nuggets. And thanks everyone for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Be sure to leave us a review and let us know any ideas you have for a future show topic. And if you really want to show us some love, share this episode with a friend and be sure to join our community online, milestonesmotivationandmoney.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at milestonesmotivationandmoney. Tune in next time.